And this is Vitra's story and the preaching to the ego when Indra doesn't want to continue fighting. Sorry, it takes my Our sensory prowess, mental power, bodily strength, living force, immortality, and mortality are all subject to the superintendence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Not knowing this, foolish people think the dull material body to be the cause of their activities. Well, this is listed. You better not be listed. Are we making sense to the No. Ojaha, Saho, Bala, Pana, Amritam, Mitrim, Eja. So our ability to digest 
our ojas, our mental strength, our very breath, whether we live, whether we die, that is all dependent on the will of God. Krishna was known as Govinda, 
people, but he has eternal, blissful, spiritual body. He is the origin of all. He has no other origin, for he is the prime cause of all causes. So he's comparing our actions in this world to two things. What are the two things? A wooden doll and an animal made of leaves or grass. And he's saying that just like that, like if you have a puppet, have you ever seen a wooden puppet on streets? Have you ever seen you haven't seen? Have you ever seen a wooden puppet on streets? No? Uh-huh. You have. What about you guys back there? Have you ever seen a wooden puppet on streets? Have you? Have you ever used one? You have used one. I used to have uh, we, I don't know what they call them in New Zealand, but we call them marionettes in America. We call them marionettes. I used to have a marionette. So that's just like that. And I don't know why you picked a female marionette to give us an example, Mari. But anyway, I have to ask you just for that one. So I say just like a marionette, or just like you get some uh, toy animal made out of leaves or grass. Are any of your toys made out of leaves or grass? No. Are any of your toys made out of leaves or grass? Oh, no. I guess it's a just for not, probably not. He wasn't, never was a little boy in the life of the dresser. He just came out of the fire fully gone. But maybe in those days people had toy animals made up of things or grass. Now when we hear this, that we're just like a marionette or some toy animal, since we don't see very many animals made of things or grass, let's say stuffed animal. What's your reaction to that? Everything's controlled by Krishna and we're just like marionettes or stuffed animals. Well, what's some reactions to this? Sounds like we have no independence. In fact, he says that. He says, no one is independent. Although Prabhupada is adding that to the translation. Some reactions to this. Everybody's okay with this? Sounds like a dried up existence. Any other reactions to this? That's quite different than how I perceive things. That's quite different than how we perceive things. Any other reactions to this?
Now we talked about before that what is the difference between a living being and an inanimate object? What's the difference? Consciousness, not just consciousness, not just consciousness. Hmm? Desires. How many times have we heard Prabhupada say that you cannot stop desires? And Krishna says it, right? Anybody know the five factors? 
nature, well, nature in the sense of the um, of the body, the place, the body, body's in a certain place, the senses, the instruments of action, the work itself. Then the work itself, the endeavor. Two more. The soul, the actor. So that means being there, that person's desire. Okay? Or you could say that the work is a person's desire also. And Krishna. So good so Krishna. So there's five. The place, which could be considered the body, or could be considered the general place, or could be considered nature. The place you're in. Place you're in, the instruments you're using to do the work, which are your senses, or of course extensions of your senses. If you have a hammer, if you have a tray, those are like extensions of your senses. What you're trying to accomplish, the work itself, ourselves, and Krishna. Now, of all those, Krishna is the most important. Because if he doesn't allow, he can't do. Just like little Goko there. So he has something he's trying to do there with that paper. He has something he's trying to achieve. And he's using some instruments, he's using his hands, his eyes, he's using the pencils. He's got the place, his body, the temple room. But then he also has his mother. And his mother has to supply him with the ingredients. If she doesn't give him the colored pencils and the paper, no matter how much he desires to make pictures, he can't do it. He doesn't have the capability to earn money. Be pretty tough. Maybe he can earn a little bit of money, but not very much. He doesn't have the capability of driving to the shop and buying pencils. And even he has to get his mother's permission to color in the class. Right? If she says, no, go buy your mother to color in the class, then that's it, generally. Sometimes, of course, if you yell and scream, your mom will give in after a while. But the point is that he needs, he needs his mother to give him the instruments. He needs his mother to give him the permission. He even needs his mother to bring him to the temple room, probably. Now, I guess he could run away from home. She just finds him hanging out in the temple room. But especially if you have to drive here. So you see there, there's an interplay between his desires and her giving facility. And her giving facility, Janeshwari's giving facility, is also dependent, I'm sure, on his behavior. So if the last time she gave him pencils and he colored in the temple room, instead of coloring it, he started throwing the pencils at everybody and throwing the paper at everybody, then next time he said, could I please color in the temple room? And I hope she would say, no. Some parents would say yes, but that's a whole other discussion. And if you behave properly with the pencils and the paper, then the likelihood is that you'll say, yes, certainly you can do it again. So one can say that he's just uh, like a, a puppet. He can only do what his mother facilitates him to do. He doesn't have any independence. Does that make sense? There's no independence. He can't come to the temple room by himself. He can't get the paper by himself. He can't get the pencils by himself. He 
can't do any of these things independently. So in that sense, you could say he's like a puppet. At the same time, he also has desires. If he says, I don't want to call another temple, it's practically impossible to force him. I suppose you can take your hand over his hand, you know. But even then, if he doesn't cooperate, you're going to get a bunch of scribbles. There's a limit as to which you can force another living entity. And Krishna, this is not implying that Krishna is forcing us. That's not the implication here. Krishna's not interested in force. That's not what's enjoyable to you. I mean, even for us, little Jesus, do we enjoy forcing people? Not usually. Only if you're very demonic do you enjoy forcing people. Having them slaves and beating them and torturing them. That's a sign of somebody in the mode of ignorance. And even among human beings, higher class people do not get pleasure out of such things. And in fact, even in our normal human relations, we don't like the idea that someone is doing something for us because they feel obligated. Does anybody like that? If somebody's at your birthday party and they say, you know, I really don't want to be here. I actually don't like you. I don't want to celebrate your birthday. But, you know, you're the one who gives me my paycheck, so I figured I'd have to come and celebrate your birthday or you won't be. Well, how would you feel? You feel like, leave then. I don't want you here. Isn't it? So we don't even want to deal with people who feel socially enforced. Which is ironic because many times we try to subtly or grossly force people. But if people do things out of force, we don't like it. And certainly we don't like to be forced. Anybody here like to be forced? So Krishna certainly doesn't like force. This is not talking about force. It's saying that we're not independent in the fulfillment of our desires, either our material desires or our spiritual desires, anything. I'm not independent as to whether I can move my hand. I'm sure you do all heard out that the town president of Malaysia just left his body. He was only in his 40s. Cooperate with his mother. 
if his mother's evil, that's not going to be very good. But if his mother's good, that will be beneficial for him. If she's benevolent and she cares about his welfare, his desires, then his cooperation with her will be not only for her benefit, it will be for his benefit as well. And therefore, Prabhupada uses the word dovetailed. Do you know what a dovetail is? Sometimes you see this in wood. If you have a, a good quality chest of drawers, then the parts of the drawer are not the parts of the drawer are not just blue, you know, low quality. It's just each edge is straight and it's just blue. And sometimes it comes apart. You see, especially the bottom part of the drawer will come apart from the back and start sagging. Right? You've all seen that with low quality chest drawers. But high quality, they fit together like something like this, like you can interlace your fingers. Except when I interlace my fingers, there's spaces, there's air spaces. And when you have a dovetail, there's no spaces. And the way they do that is that each of these is a, a triangle, close to a triangle. So they fit together. Have you all seen them? Can you picture them? The, the dovetail? So dovetail means my desires and Krishna's desires are fitting together. Now, if Gopal's desire to play and his mother's desire to be in a class are dovetailed, then there can be cooperative harmony. If they're not dovetailed, if Gopal's desire to play includes hitting his mother over the head, then it's not dovetailed, and there's a disturbance. Right? Does that all make sense? Okay. Now, all of us, just like India, want to be successful in our endeavors. Anybody here plan to be a failure? Anybody want to be a failure? No. We all want to be successful. And the trustor is giving this advice to Indra as a way of helping him to become successful. Not only successful in his immediate aim of vanquishing the trustor and gaining the power to rule the heavenly planet, but also successfully being part of Krishna's plan. Now we might examine this reality of our dependence on Krishna in terms of how we can be successful in our action. And what does success mean? Remember I started off by saying you have to know where you're going, see whether or not you're getting there and then make adjustments. So where are we going? What's our goal? What, how do we measure success? What do we call success? Generally, materialistic people measure success by some external kind of result, such as, do I win the battle? If I win the battle, I'm successful. If I lose the battle, then I'm a failure. Isn't that how most people understand success? If I get the job, I'm successful. If I lose the job, I'm a failure. If I make the money, I'm successful. If I get the husband and wife, I'm successful. We measure it in the light now. But Krishna tells Arjuna in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita that that's not how you measure success. He says, fight for the sake of fighting without considering victory or loss, gain or defeat, honor or dishonor.
Well, what, how do you measure success then? And he says, If you really want to be successful, do everything as a sacrifice for Vishnu, which is what Vitrasa was saying to Indra here. He's saying, really, you can only do anything with the permission of Vishnu, so do everything in harmony with him. So, what does that mean exactly? And Prabhupada, the Bhagavad Gita, is purports to the five factors of action. He says, all one's endeavors depend on the will of the super soul, who is seated within the heart as a friend. So this is important. Prabhupada's telling us that the super soul is benevolent. I'm dependent on Krishna, like a child is dependent on the mother, and Krishna is a friend. Suradhan is not just a, a friend that you say, I go to. And you're thinking, what's his name again? It's not just that kind of friend. And he's not just some friend in the course of our social dealings. But he's a steward, he's in the heart, a very deep, well-wishing friend. Now, most of us uh, in this human life, as far as other human beings, you know, we're lucky if we have three to five people in our life that are that kind of a deep, well-wishing friend. Right? It's rare. So Prabhupada said, he's situated the heart of the friend. The Supreme Lord is the super cause. As Prabhupada said in this purpose, the super cause. Under these circumstances, now Prabhupada's going to explain what this means that one then dovetails one's desires with the desires of the Lord. Under these circumstances, that Krishna is the supreme cause, that he's the best friend, that we're not independent. He who is active in Krishna consciousness under the direction of the super soul situated within the heart is naturally not bound by any activity. Those in complete Krishna consciousness are not ultimately responsible for their actions. Everything is dependent on the supreme will, the super soul, the supreme personality of God. They're saying if you fully dovetail with Krishna, then Krishna is responsible. Just like if a child causes a disturbance, we hold the parent responsible. If the children at the school put on a wonderful performance, we certainly praise the children, but we also praise the teachers. People think, oh, that's a very good school. Right? They also, the school also gets the credit. And if the children put on, let's say the children put on some performance for Jagnostomy that was really offensive and gross and horrible, who would be blamed? The school, not the children. You wouldn't say, oh, these nonsense children. So when our desires are dovetailed with Krishna, then Krishna is responsible. We no longer get reaction. But when the children are on the stage, they're also using their own desires, aren't they? They're not just inanimate objects. They have to want to be in play, they have to study their lives, they have to willingly cooperate. And it's very satisfying to be in a team like that, isn't it? It's not that, that you're not getting any personal satisfaction out of it. So that's a good example of what we mean by they're not responsible. But we find that if a person is not in harmony with Krishna, they are responsible. Which is some good evidence as to why this verse is not just literal. If it was literal,
need to plan them. And it wouldn't make any sense. There'd be no need of Shastra. The next verse here in Bhagavad Gita says, whatever right or wrong action a man performs by body, mind, or speech is caused by those five factors. Prophet says, right work is work done in terms of the prescribed directions in the scriptures, and wrong work is work done against the principles of the scriptural injunctions. So if Krishna was controlling all of us as if we were in an object, why would there be any need for scriptural injunctions at all? How could you talk about whether or not somebody did something that was right or wrong? That implies that a person has some choice. So we see that even though the child is dependent on the mother, still the child has choice. And even we as adults, we're dependent to a large extent on the government. What facilities the government gives us, what permission the government gives us. And we're also not independent. Or not, not even just the government, the businesses in the area. We're dependent on so much. Like the Vedic injunctions, 
All of your instructions are held as pressed jewels on our head. It's Krishna's instructions to go. And they say, just as nectar never turns salty, how is it that your infallible words put us into such embarrassment? It's embarrassing, isn't it? You know, if you go and ask somebody for something and they don't even answer you, isn't that embarrassing? It's very humiliating. They say, why did this happen, Krishna? How can you be salty? How can your words, it seems like your words are false. And of course, Krishna said, don't worry, you know, sometimes in begging you get a result, and sometimes you don't get a result. That's not very important. Don't take it as important. Now go to the wise. And we can give so many examples. We were just talking about Rama stealing the cows and boys. So the coward men were also failure. They couldn't keep the cows on the top of the hill and said they were baffled, frustrated, and angry. Same like the coward boys, because they're thinking, you know, we're supposed to work. So they were very baffled. Well, why can't we do our job? We're frustrated. We're angry. Why are we failure? So that's one misconception. And I hear this over and over and over again from the notes. Somebody will try something, if it works out right, they'll say, oh, it must have been Krishna's arrangement. And if it works out wrong, they'll say, it must have been your material desires. Very common misconception. Or devotees will try to figure out, what is Krishna's desire? Because if I know what Krishna's desire is, then everything will be successful externally. That's what we're thinking. Somehow to just figure out, and sometimes devotees will ask, like the last spiritual master, okay, what's your instruction? Because they're thinking, okay, that's definitely going to work. We had that problem in the early days of this time with marriages. That some telepresident would write to Srila Prabhupada, you know, can Krishna Das marry Krishna Das? Prabhupada said, yes. Sure, you have my blessings. So Krishna Das would marry Krishna Das, no astrology, no nothing. And then they think, oh, Prabhupada blessed it, it's going to be a perfect marriage. We don't have to do any thought in advance, we don't have to work at our relationship, it just automatically, it's going to be blessed by Krishna. You know, and of course that didn't happen, and some people divorced, and then Prabhupada said, I'm not blessing anyone marriages anymore. Don't involve me in this. And I know I'm one devotee, has a great feeling of anger towards her spiritual master because he told her to do a particular service and when she did it, she first of all got very sick and second of all all the service failed. And so she blames him for all the problems in her life. And she says, I don't know if he's a bona fide guru because he told me something that didn't work out. So in that case, Krishna's not a bona fide god because he also sometimes tells people to do things that don't work out. And by the way, even for Krishna, things don't always apparently work out. I was talking to Rajiv Haripuru, who started his kind of resolve and does mediation. And I mentioned something about Krishna. And he said, don't use Krishna as an example. He failed the mediation. Right? And Krishna went as a peace messenger to mediate between the Pandavas and the Gurus. And he even showed the Gurus a universal form. You'd think that would be pretty convincing. And still they said, 
No way. We're not going to work with those populists. We're not even going to give them as much land as they can stick a pin into. He wasn't able to get any settlements at all. Krishna was now doing the work of mediator and saying, okay, okay, you won't accept giving them your crust. Fine. Give them five villages, one each. And Duryodhan said, I'm not giving them as much land as they can put a pin into. And Krishna had to come back to the populace and say, it didn't work out. I mean, Krishna says it himself. 
Glacial will result simply in trouble. And Prabhupada says in that word, it will be hard to achieve it, and it will be hard to maintain it. Because it's not natural. So our process is not to get rid of desires. And again, we don't really enjoy that. Like, we don't really enjoy forcing. I was talking to one ago, and he said, my wife would never tell me her opinion. He said, anytime I ask her what, what we should do, she always says, whatever you want. And it's so annoying. I wish she'd sometimes tell me what she would like. Where would you like to go today, dear? Wherever you'd like. What would you like to eat? I don't know. You just pick something. Which of these stories would you like to go Or whatever you like. He says, it drives me crazy. Thank you. 
it's old. Then you've got to look for something else. If we attribute success to things like I win the battle, or I make the money, or I get the car I want, you know, there's just certain periods within our life, certain moments that we would say are successful, maybe within a span of 100 years. We have a total of three weeks where we can combine our moments of success. But if success is in my relationship with Krishna, how much I have this yoga with Krishna, I can have that every moment. And I can have it in any circumstance. I can have it when I'm losing the battle. I can have it when I'm insulted by the brahmanas. I'm no longer dependent on external things for my sense of success and meaning and happiness. I am then free. And because my relationship with Krishna is happening internally, not just externally, I'm not dependent, as Krishna said, on the ordinary course of events. I'm not dependent on any other living being. I'm not dependent on, as far as Krishna says, auspicious, inauspicious. doesn't matter. Therefore, I'm free. And he says, this is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material content. I no longer see the soul of my goal. I might express my relationship with Krishna by trying to be successful externally, but I realize that that's in his hands. It never was in my hands. It never will be in my hands. No matter how big and powerful I become, I will never be able to control that kind of thing externally. Never. No matter how much austerity you do. We read about how Shama was doing this austerity for one year. He only ate a handful of dust. He saw Lord Shiva personally. He was friends with Mayadhanava. He built a spaceship and terrorized the others for 27 days. And he still didn't kill anyone. So, you know, we're thinking if I just go to school, if I just get this, if I just meet this person, if I just make this money, I just then I'll be able to do it. Thank you. 
know that you're really close to, sometimes you forget what you're doing. I just got a letter like that from an old friend of mine. I had asked her some questions and she replied saying, I don't answer all these questions to you as a year ago. I'm like, oops, I forgot. And it was something that was really important to her. Don't you find that sometimes? Your close friends, you'll talk to them about something and they'll say, what are you doing? What are you doing? I just actually had this circumstance with one of the artists. She came with a friend, she was bringing some paintings, and I was showing her what I'm doing now, and she said, oh, this isn't just storybooks, it's a whole literacy program. You've turned it into a literacy program. And I didn't want to say, no, it's always been a literacy program. I showed you all this, I told you all this from the get-go, you're working with me on the project, you don't even know what the project is. She's working with me on the project, she didn't even know what the project is. So what we're doing is, uh, my point is that what we're doing is not so important even to the people who are closest to us. In the long run, it's not even so important to us. Right? Somebody called me the other day and said, what do I do about the piles of laundry in my house? And we were talking about it. And I said, you know, 10 years from now, you won't even remember that there were piles of laundry in your house today. It just won't be important to you anymore. You know, if you think about all the big arguments you had with people five or ten years ago, it's hard to even remember what they were about. So those sort of external things, they're not really important to us, they're not really important to other people, they're not, they're not really very important. But what is really important is whether or not you're regulating the And Again, we can show that externally, but the external means are just ways of showing that. One class I was at, Dr. Richard made this point very clearly. He said, I come to this, it was a home program, he said, I come to this home, and he said, he decorated the seed with flowers. He said, why didn't you decorate the seed with automobile parts? He said, because flowers both help express a mood of love and nourish a mood of love. So what we do externally should be things that express our desire for a relationship with Krishna and nourish that relationship with Krishna. In that sense, what we do externally is important. But from a material point, what we do externally has practically speaking no meaning. It's not evidence of our, of anything material, and it's not evidence of anything spiritual. So here are the keys to be successful. Know where you want to go, which is a relationship with Krishna. Be able to tell whether or not you're achieving one. And if you're not, make some adjustments. All right, I'm stopping. Questions, comments? Yes.
very orderly and it's very secure. Nothing out of the ordinary will ever happen. In fact, nothing will ever happen. And you get to just be there eternally. Security means existence. I want to exist. The sense of security is I don't want I don't want to stop existing. I want to have what I need for existence. So the problem is you just get to exist and nothing ever threatens your existence. But it's the more intimate you have more intimate Krishna's manifestations you relate with, the less that's active from an external material point of view. You know, I think Jagarayana and Ramchandra Krishna. Krishna is the most playful and the most tricky. So how do the how do the pure devotees meet their need for security? To me, how, how do they meet their need for security? What's their source of security? Dependence on Krishna and Guru? Okay, Krishna tells us that of the non-existent, there's no endurance and of the eternal, there's no change. So one way you have security in Krishna is you know that if I put my security in this world, it's always going to be changing. It's in flux. But I, the soul, I don't have any change. Makes sense? That which pervades the entire body should not be indestructible. For the soul, there is neither birth nor death at any time. It says, the soul can never be cut into pieces by any weapon, nor burned by fire, nor moistened by water, nor withered by the wind. The individual soul is unbreakable and insoluble and can be neither burned nor dried. He is everlasting, present everywhere, unchangeable, immovable, and eternally the same. So if we're fixed in our spiritual identity, what is the question of security? The reason that we feel insecure is we're identifying with something insecure. That will never be secure. Your home will never be secure. Sorry. I told you one of my former students went to the 24-hour care town and when she came back, her house had burned down. One of her friends wrote, well, at least you had your, had your laptop and your stories. <laughs> you had a mobile phone too. Wrote, at least you had your mobile phone, your laptop, and your stories, and that's all it counts. She was able to sell it to you.
There was a family in America in World War II with five sons. This was in the day when nobody thought their security was in the children, especially their sons. And the government put them all on the same boat. And when the boat was torpedoed, they all died. After that, they had a rule in the military that you don't put siblings in the same regiment. Superman, James Bond, Batman movies. They know the hero, you know the hero's going to be okay. 